Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. In a departure from our regular format, this is a live recording from Dragon Meat 2021, in which Paul joins Mike Mason, Lynn Hardy and Lee Carnell to discuss the 40th anniversary celebrations for Call of Cthulhu. I'm Mike Mason from Cozium. I look after the Call of Cthulhu line. Uh, this is... Lynn Hardy, um, Associates Line Editor. I think that's Associate Editor. Associate, associate Editor for Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu, but also the Line Editor for... Rivers of London. The Rivers of London. Again. Okay, but we talked about that already. So I'm going to talk about this today. Uh, and then uh, I'm also joined by... I'm Lee Carnell, and I run the Dolls House for Chaos. And we'll tell you more about the Dolls House in just a minute, if you don't know what that is. And this is... Paul Pricker. Uh, I'm a freelance writer for Chaosium, working on Rivers of London and The Call of Cthulhu, and uh, also a host of the Good Friends Jackson Elias podcast, where we talk about Call of Cthulhu and related matters. Excellent. So this panel had um, the, the nebulous title of being kind of the uh, Call of Cthulhu's 40th anniversary, hear about the history and what's coming and all that kind of thing, which was a general coverall for anything we want to talk about, really, or you guys want to ask. Um, but it was 40 years ago, a couple of months back, you know, around November the 3rd, Friday the 13th, where Call of Cthulhu was technically delivered to the Kersim office in California uh, on that fateful day, and has been and was then unleashed into the world uh, to spread its tentacles and so forth. Um, so, what I thought, as we have a panel of people, and, and I don't have to talk all the time. I was going to ask, um, I mean, I could, again, it's, I'm going to ask you two questions. You can answer, you know, decide which one of them you want to answer, because some of it may be uh, <coughs> repeating what you've already said previously. So the question is, tell me either, or tell us about your first experience of Call of Cthulhu, or tell us about the one Call of Cthulhu product, which is probably a book, that had the most impact or meaning for you historically. Now, what was the one that kind of, this happened when we ran it, or this when I read it, or whatever it may be. So, what was it, and you know when? Okay. So, Lee, why don't we get you to start? Okay. Um, so, I guess the book that has the most impact for me called Cthulhu is the third edition Games Workshop book, and it's it's a really lovely book, and that's the one that I got for my birthday. It must have been so. It was the end of February, and I don't know when that came out. Like eighty five, eighty six. So. Uh, and that just opened everything up, got me into the Mythos and, and hooked me into all that, you know, that lovely um, horror and cosmic horror and everything like that. And it had great content. Uh, the the colour plates in the middle, the Groglin vampire and all those and, and Ward 13 that were just so evocative uh, for my very young mind at those ages. <laughs> so, that, that, yeah, third edition book was my first introduction. To call it and that's the one you when, when you look back in your mind that's the one that kind of jumps out to you is the yes. one that you know that you, the images are yeah, the, the, burned yes. into your memory oh yes seared into them all throughout my nerves excellent. and bones excellent excellent Lynn what about you well, I'm going to go with my first experience um, and I'm going to start with RuneQuest actually so I'm going to start with with the other game um, okay. because 
was my first experience of gaming. Completely, you know, in total, that was my introduction, was RuneQuest. And I inherited Shirley the Dwarf, who I loved a bit. Um, but the keeper who ran that for us, a guy called John Wilson, um, he, did, he came back from Games Workshop one day with Call of Cthulhu and went, I think, you know, I want to stick with BRP, but I fancy running something as a bit of, like, relief between the RuneQuest campaign. <laughs> I mean, he knew what Call of Cthulhu was. He'd read Lovecraft when he was at school, but it was the game that we played as a break in amongst all the other campaigns that we were doing because of the group. There were six of us, and there's only one person who wasn't a GM, so we used to take turns GMing different systems. So that was kind of the, our, our break game, our light relief game. And, of course, we started with The Haunting, as you do. And I just remember falling about laughing when our friend Richard uh, got... Well, you know what happened to Richard. I'm not going to. It wasn't. It wasn't your character. It, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was, oh, oh. No, it was. It was somebody else's character. And we were all like, what? Well, what did that happen? <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay then. So yeah, that was my my first introduction. Excellent. To Call of Cthulhu. Okay, Paul. Uh, I think I'd have to say at the Mountains of Madness, uh, beyond the Mountains of Madness, the, the Call of Cthulhu kind of bumper campaign uh, came out around 2000 or so. Um, a, a massive campaign that looked like a telephone directory, even though that phrase doesn't really work anymore because telephone directories aren't really a thing, but a big fat book. And I think that worked really well for me because it was, it was a long campaign and our, our keeper got us to create two characters so that we had like a, a primary character and if anything like bad happened to them, you know, chances are that we got a backup one. And I think one of the fondest memories I have is being given the, the handout during the, at some point, you know, no great spoilers, at some point during the campaign, you get a handout and you get to read it. And the handout is the original version of the Lovecraft story at the Mountains of Madness. Uh, because, you know, you've got that document that was basically, the Lovecraft story was, was a warn, written as a warning to stop people doing exactly what you as a character are doing now, going back to that location to, you know, to revisit it. And I can remember, like, we'd been playing for quite a few months, and, and I'd, I'd gone home, and I lived in a little old sort of farm cottage. It was pretty damn cold anyway, and I, this big duvet sort of pulled up over my head, and the, 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 the light on, and, and I could just kind of... I think the wind, it was blowing the wind outside. I could imagine I was in my tent in the, in the Antarctic there, like like cowering down, you know, reading these pages and actually like, you know, like the middle of the night just reading this story in the total darkness. Uh, it was just, I don't know, just a, a kind of magically immersive experience. Yeah, that was great. Cool. Uh, I, 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 if I answered honestly, I would say masks because um, I was a player in that in the first, you know, when it, when it first came out as a box set. But I'm not going to talk about masks, because you already know about masks. I'm going to talk about something else. It was like a, my second tier kind of book experience that, that always sticks in my memory when, I, when I'm running Cthulhu. And that was At Your Door, which was a campaign, modern day campaign. Uh, came out, must be early 90s, mid 90s, I can't remember now. Early 90s, let's say. At Your Door. And it's kind of like, you know, that kind of it had that kind of millennial feeling. You know, the millennium isn't that far away, guys, and and, and it, 
things are going to change in this scenario kind of feeds into that and it was kind of a bit of a hodgepodge campaign of some disparate bits that have been kind of pushed together and um, you know some people it's one of them chalk and cheese campaigns a bit like Beyond the Mountains of Madness some people love those campaigns and they think they are the best ones we've ever done some people hate them they just think they're too linear or they're disparate and so forth and you know all, all opinions are valid really you know there's not one size fits all but at your door is very much like that you know I often see online people you know, oh, it's rubbish kind of thing. I, we had a really good time. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I ran it, but we had a good time. It was, we ran it in the middle of the summer and um, we often were playing out in the garden, you know, on, on the table because it was a really hot summer that year. And, and in the campaign, I'm, I'm trying to remember, in the campaign, there is a temperature thing in the campaign. It's slowly getting warmer and warmer. It's just kind of to kind of say that things aren't quite right. And that kind of mirrored the real life of us playing the game because every week we'd meet it'd be hotter and hotter at night. So I would you know, maybe emphasize that overly in the campaign as well. But, um, and then it ends up in California with Chthonians coming out the ground and uh, lots of shenanigans around the, um, the football stadium in, 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 uh, in San Francisco, funnily enough, which is just down the road from where Curzon used to be. And, uh, but yeah, that, that for me, because it just kind of, it was play, I was running it at the right time. It had that kind of pre-millennial kind of tension about it. And, and so that always sticks in my head as something that was really memorable as a, a play experience. Um, but anyway, um, I'm conscious that Lee's here. And I wanted Lee to um, <clears throat> tell us a bit about the Dolls House. Because uh, you know, I know some of you will be aware of the Dolls House. Uh, very well and maybe use it a lot but there may you know maybe not everyone here and as Lee is the guy who created it from literally bits and pieces of computer memory then because um, I'm very high tech um, tell us about Doll's House why, why did you start it and tell us what it is okay so the Doll's House um, I started it as like my pet project like, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago. And, and I was, where I was involved in work, programming, I was doing a lot of um, reporting in PDFs. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if I could have something that could help, you know, create a character, create an investigator, output the PDF, and it could store it for me, and I could do all that. And, and it grew, the you know, Doll's House grew out of that, so it became a website, and we added on things, like what well, we, it has been me. Uh, handouts and um, you, you can create a telegram on there or calling cards and all in PDF form um, and then I had conversations with Mike and he said yeah this is really good but we do Semp Edition now why don't you do that do you remember that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go away again and, and, and retool everything for Semp Edition which didn't take that long and uh, fold in all the occupations for the templates for that and, and everything and it and it grew from there, and and it started off quite low key. You know, we, we just people just used it. Aren't we? If I'd see them at um, conventions and things to talk about it and everything, and then it grew, got a bit of traction. Uh, I think it went in the um, Chaosium newsletter a couple of times, and more people signed up and used it, and more people said this doesn't work. Why not? And and, that, and and suggestions for new bits and pieces, and there were some bits that fall on the wayside because it started off, off as a hodgepodge of things that I was interested in doing. So I um, also ran a PB uh, pay-by-mail forum site that people would play horror games on as well. Um, I'm not involved in that now. So 
uh, one of the things was like dice rolling and there wasn't a dice roller for that framework and it, it wasn't a framework I was familiar with so I wrote one on my site and you could import those dice rolls in and that's still there in the background but it's it's you know it's just just something that's that's there so really we concentrated on the the Cthulhu character creation so it holds your hand through creating a character within the framework and saves it for you it's updatable you can add your portrait and it'll output onto the PDFs for you and we've incorporated the new lovely new anniversary PDFs which are really really nice and there's the, the library aspect as well and yes and and if you do in, create an investigator on there you're, you can or you have the ability to clone that into what we call the library and it becomes available for anyone not and they don't have to be, even be a site member so you have to be a site member to create because obviously we need to know who it belongs to to keep track of everything but um we have, you know, we have thousands of people just download characters from the library. Uh, we assume to play their games every month. Yeah, so if you need a character, you can create it, one or yeah, pick the, the, one. There's, there's, a search, there's a search functionality which is pretty basic. It need, you know, we will improve it, uh, and you know, so you can find a 1920s accountant character in there. I imagine that's probably the top question people want to find a 1920s account. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. I'm very interested in community content. You've, Doll's House output is absolutely fine to use on the Miskatonic repository, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's free, obviously. And Doll's House is completely free, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So but you can take this free 1920s accountant and stick it in your scenario and sell that for money. <laughs> it's. Um, I mean, as this panel is a bit about looking forward, where we are now, and looking back. Uh, you know, I. For me, when you first came to me, said I've got this site, and we were in it, and I go, oh, that's really good. That reminds. What it reminded me is, do you remember Bayaki, the old? Um, that that was that was one of my yeah. That was one, kind of the inspiration. Yeah, one of my inspirations. Back 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 in the day, there was a little bit of software you basically just copied and you know would run, and then it was a little. Call of Cthulhu, you know, character generation you could run on your your, your PC, and um, and it kind of went through a couple of iterations, and it kind of existed in the, you know, not the cloud, but you know, metaphorically the cloud at the time, and then it kind of, and then the the person who had kind of developed it kind of, they kind of didn't want to really do any more, it just kind of left us open source. Yeah, no, that was David Harvey. Who I, I right. talked to a couple of times, but that was way back. But yeah, but that only ran on the on PCs, and That's I thought, right. well, you know, it. <laughs> You know, you know, people use other, you know, other platforms, and, and Linux was becoming more popular at the time. So, well, if you make it a website, it's available to anyone. Everyone can do it and yeah. from anywhere. Yeah. So, so no, that was how it all started. Absolutely. Um, so, um, Paul, what have you been uh, working on recently? What have I been working on in terms of Call of Cthulhu or Rivers of London? Well, a bit of both. <laughs> a bit of both. <clears throat> uh, for myself, I've been working on some, uh, you'll be pleased to know, some uh, things for the Miskatonic Repository. <laughs> so, Full uh, Fathom 5 is a, uh, a scenario that I wrote and published uh, last year, uh, about 18 months ago, and um, you know, it was interesting to me to see how much work it was to put something out, uh, you know, because previously most of the work I've done is is you know for Mike who's then put it into books but Mike's done the editing and you know taking care of the layout and, and all those other bits of finding art those really so easy quick to do yeah bits. all that yeah. stuff I mean obviously you, you, 
I've always thought, you know, Mike's got an easy job. He just gets some stuff in and it comes out as a book. You know, what does he have to do? Well, apparently he has to do quite a lot. Um, and, then, uh, and then I discovered that having it in a PDF form was one thing. But having a printable version was another. And Nick was a massive help uh, with that. It's so good. Oh, well, it's um, not that you haven't had sea shanties in there. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the, the sea shanties was... Uh, with, with, that somehow, I don't know if, if that helped my sales at all, but well, somehow like during this. lockdown, sea shanties became a massively popular thing at the same time as I'd got a scenario out with the sea shanty in it. Uh, but I'm also working on putting out um, Dockside Dogs, which is a scenario I published about oh, a couple of, ten years ago. Uh, and uh, I'm working on making a 7th edition version of that to go on the repository uh, alongside um, uh, another one which I've temporarily forgotten the name of. I'm also working on Gatsby and the Great Race to put that out as a, uh, as a, um, a product for the Miscalonic repository. Um, what's this? What's my son? Oh, My Little Sister. That's it. <laughs> my Little Sister. I've forgotten the title. But, uh, Is that good? Yes. Uh, catchy type. It's the well, it's the it's the uh, sorry, guaranteed that uh, your group is either going to go wow or hate you. And mostly it's hate you, isn't it? I feel like that's most of my scenarios, but well, <laughs> I didn't want to say. <laughs> as long as you realise it. Very good, very good. Thanks, Paul. Lynn, um, when you're not when you're not doing rivers, what, what, what were you doing just before you had to go full-time into rivers? Oh, that would be Regency Cthulhu. Why don't you tell us about Regency? Well, Regency Cthulhu uh, was something that... Um, well, Andy Peregrine, who we all know, uh, who, who is prodigious and prolific, bless his heart, um, he basically pitched a um, sort of set of scenarios that would take place in different time frames. Then we sat down and looked at it and thought, well, actually, Mike's not looking. Andy, can, you, can we make this into like a little mini Regency source book? Because we're probably not going to get, you know, like a big, it's not going to be a big setting, but I quite fancy a Regency source book. So he'd already written one Regency scenario, and that was the first one he sent to us as part of this book. So we said, okay, well, if you write some setting stuff and then do another scenario, we can put it out as like a little mini thing. So yeah, that's that's what happened basically. Um, so it, it will be coming. Unfortunately it's kind of because everything is now full on rivers, um, it's kind of it's 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 sort of been set gently to one side like a spinster maid oh, and it, she will be brought back out uh, once you know once rivers are sorted. Uh, so yes it's um, rules for creating your Regency investigator. We are assuming you will be a member of the gentry because it's very Jane Austen inspired. Um, it was an absolute blast to play test. It took us forever to get through the scenarios because everybody was far more entertained by going to balls and parties and yes, fanning each other and, and illicit romances and, and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, with some Cthulhu in the background. But it was, it was hilarious fun. So yes, rules for creating your Regency characters. Um, a town in which to set your adventures. Uh, two scenarios. Uh, and then because... Um, the cartographer got a bit overexcited and put far too many houses on the original map of the town. Uh, we also updated it so that you have a potential 1913 setting as one of the appendices for reasons. That will become apparent. That will become apparent when you get the book. Um, so knowing that was that was a huge amount of fun. Um, it and because obviously 
Bridgerton season two is coming up next year, which will be about when the game is, is coming out around then anyway. And it's a complete accident because it's something Andy's wanted to do for ages. It's something I've fancied doing for a long time. And then the whole Bridgerton TV thing is just kind of going off in the background. And it's like, it's not deliberate at all, um, but it's just it's one of those confidence. wonderful... It's happy confidence. It is. It, it, in a sense, it's a companion or cousin to Reign of Terror. Yes. Because yes, you know, they're not far apart in, yeah, in, in, in terms of timescale. So, it's slightly you know, it's, uh, But, it, 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 you know, you could see... You know, maybe you, know, you could run a campaign between the two, but you can see the links. If you enjoyed that, you know, when you, when you did Reign of Terror and you all kind of enjoyed running around with muskets and that kind of thing, you're probably going to enjoy the Regency one as well because running, if you're running around with muskets and things like that. Yeah. And we so, have put uh, pulp rules in as well. So if you really want to do Pride, Prejudice and Zombies, it's there for you to do that because uh, that just amused us no end. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, so, yes, keep your eyes open for that one. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was good fun. So, that, that's, so that's a few things. I mean, I just to kind of seal the bag on that one. Um, I... I put this little book together which is um, due out, well the PDF's out now and this one proves it's been printed uh, and uh, will be you know, available in the warehouse reasonably soon which is the Keeper's Tips book which is I thought given 40 years it would be kind of cool if I asked a few people who've been running the game for 40 years or less you know, new ideas, old ideas to uh, you know, throw me, what, would they, what advice would they give to somebody who was going to run a game of Call of Cthulhu and this kind of came out of it, and it's just a pocketbook full of opinions, really. Some of which you will not agree with. Some of it, some of them you will agree with. Some of them we go, well, that was my idea. How did they steal it? Or whatever it may be. But it's full of that, and it's a you know nice little pocketbook. And there's even even room at the back for um, your own notes. So each one can be your own unique little one. So that's that was something that we thought would be kind of cool for a nice little thing for the anniversary. And obviously the other thing that was taking my time up prior to that was the Cults of Cthulhu, which, you know, has already been released in PDF and the print will be out in the new year, but I don't really need to tell you much about that because I'm sure you all can look at our website if you want to know more, Cults of Cthulhu. The only thing I would say is um, I thought it was about time, given it was the anniversary as well, we had a book about Cthulhu because there ain't that many in Call of Cthulhu's game. So uh, I thought that would be kind of cool. So, um, but in terms of what I've been working on, in terms of what I'm doing on now, is I'm working on the new edition of Arkham, the, uh, what was formerly called Arkham uh, Unveiled and then became H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham and will be now be called something like Arkham the Legend Haunted City. Um, uh, and um, that is an updating of the, the original stuff that Keith Herber put together, the kind of really fantastic kind of setting material around Arkham. Uh, and obviously what I've done is one update it to 7th edition but also um, I've looked to expand and provide more detail that I think would be useful for people in games so uh, uh, some of the original uh, entries are fairly sparse in terms of you know this is a building with such and such and it's a couple of lines so I'd like well wouldn't it be useful if you had at least one or two names of NPCs of people connected to these locations because in the middle of a game the last thing you want to be doing is trying to think of, you know, Arkham names of people and that kind of thing. So I've got named individuals in, in every location. There's also additional kind of options in terms of what I've called strangeness. So things that are, you would call plot seeds or historical little details that you can decide, actually, I want to build a scenario out of that or that inspires me to build an idea or I'm just going to leave it there. 
oh, I'm going to ignore, the, you know, I'm going to ignore it in my game. They're just optional extras to help build some more detail and more uh, plot relevance to these uh, different locations. Because, of course, the whole idea being is this is your campaign setting, which is Arkham. Um, and so, you know, you've got things you can do in Arkham, lots of scenarios and plots. Equally, it's your base for exploring the rest of, you know, the Miskatonic Valley. And obviously, once we get Arkham done, we'll be doing Innsmouth and Kingsport and Dunwich and the Miskatonic University Soul Source book. And then that's followed by what's currently being written at the moment, which is a whole campaign about being a student of Miskatonic and living in Arkham. You know, it's that big classic campaign we've talked about for 40 years about, you know, day one, you arrive at Arkham University as an undergraduate. That's your first day. And then you go from there. So that's currently in process. Obviously, that's going to be a while before you actually see that because we've got to, you know, how many books did I just say? Arkham, Innsmouth, <laughs> Kingsport, Dunwich, Miskatonic <coughs> University. That's the keeper books. Then we've got scenarios, which obviously go with all of those. And then, oh, there's the player book as well that covers the whole of Lovecraft Country, which is your technically an in-game book you can put to your table and say, this is the guidebook you picked up about, you know, the Miskatonic Valley. And, you know, we're going to go Innsmouth. Okay, what's it say about Innsmouth? Here's, here's the street plan from 1922. Uh, okay, we want to go there. So that's, you know, meant to be a very, you know, prop heavy kind of you know player aid kind of thing that's kind of what's taking my time up and will be taking my time up for the next five years probably <laughs> something like that yeah you know but, you, um, you are allowed occasional break occasionally eat and sleep occasionally do something else like do gaslight we're going to do gaslight next year as well yeah um so um yeah gaslight was supposed to be my baby and then rivers of london happened <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we've, we've handed that to someone who has been... Well, Keris, Keris, Keris. has been um, very good about, um, basically, <laughs> we had all the original Gaslight material in the original books. We had some new pieces written for things we wanted to kind of develop. Like in the original Gaslight books, you may remember there's a, the immortal line of, um, this is about playing upper-class characters, do not play working-class characters in Gaslight, which I completely disagree with. I think it's cool to play upper-class characters or middle-class. It's even cooler to play working-class characters because in Gaslight England, they're the ones you can go anywhere. There's back doors in every house they're allowed to go in and out of. You know, no questions asked most of the time. So it seems to me like a little bit, little bit strange that you know, we haven't really done that properly. So things like that we've built in. And Keris has grabbed all of that and actually, you know, put it through the mill to actually make a cohesive sort of set of books for that. So we're hoping to somehow... Yeah, well, once Rivers is done... Between Rivers and Arkham... Yeah, so, so once Rivers is happen. done, then I'll go and sort the gaslight out. So Mike is doing Arkham, and then we've got some scenario books as well to kind of, so that you're not waiting on big projects from us all the time. So I'll be sort of like trying to slot those in. and So, I mean, you're not going to run out of material. We've got a lot. decades. We've got at least a decade's worth of books to get through before, you know, we run out, at least. Yes. New and old, as always, it's a balance. Despite what you may hear on some podcasts, we do actually do new material, which I think we'll just demonstrate. But there you go. But that's just me. Hey, what's your favourite time period for Call of Cthulhu, Lee? Gaslight. Really? Yes. Why? Because it's that far removed that it's not... I know the 20s aren't familiar, but, but it's well, quite well documented, you know, and you, you can go and see films about that era, etc. Gaslight is that further back... That, that it isn't that familiar and you can just throw more things into it to, to keep people off kilter on it, I think. Okay, sounds good. Paul, what's, what's yours? 
It's uh, 3.30 on the 4th of December 2021. <laughs> Not just the present day, just right now, just whenever I'm <laughs> just, just, just today. Uh, dream come true. Yes. Uh, no, I think I, my, my sort of uh, love in, Rob, in uh, Call of Cthulhu is, is primarily modern day, because I think, and I think we see that reflected in, I mean, I haven't done a study, but yeah, I would say the majority of horror films most of them are set in the modern day because it's easy to buy into. Um, you know, it, it's like it's happening, you know, literally at your door. You know, you could have it set right now, right here with all of us, and then all the lights go out and, you know, something starts happening, weird noises, and, you know, you've got a scenario... Because it's so accessible. I think that's it. it. And, and also, Lovecraft's writing in the 20s and 30s, but that's when he was alive in the 20s and 30s. He was, if he was writing now, he'd be writing about 2021, I think. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing, obviously, because with it being um, sort of like a... You're solving mysteries. It's the fact that you do... People forget that, you know, when uh, Conan Doyle was writing Sherlock Holmes, it's contemporary. When Agatha Christie's writing Poirot and Marple, it's contemporary. Mm. And, yeah, so that's, that's it. People sort of think of historical periods, and when you see these period dramas and things, it's all... Yes, but they weren't period then. They were actual contemporary dealing with these Christmas. One of the really weird Miss Marple stories when they're talking about atom bombs, because it's the 1950s and they're all worried about atom bombs and it's just, you know, weird aside, but yeah, you forget that these are contemporary things, so yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree, but I think it's nice to slip into that, put the Victorian coat on or put the... You know, put the uh, put the spats on and go to a speakeasy in the 1920s. You know that. I, I think that's equally entertaining and, and immersive as well. I, I, it just, I think, you know, I often say this. So I'm sorry if I repeat myself again and again. But that's why I like Call of Cthulhu because I can do all of those things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not restricted in any way to anything, any time, any setting. You know, I can play Dark Ages tonight and then tomorrow we can play today, you know, and, it, and, and it's like that. It's not a hard thing to do. So I think that's why I, you know, one of the things I've always loved about the game and why I try to emphasise to people to say, don't get, you know, don't box yourself in, you know, enjoy, you know, be, take the freedom. And if we've not published a setting and you want to play it, well, just do it. You know, Wikipedia is pretty easy to use. Just go and find out what you need and do it. You know, it's, um, I think that's, one of the, you know, the versatility is one of the beauties of it. Um, obviously, we're jabbering a lot because that's what we're here to do. But um, we're very happy to answer any questions and things like that. So if anyone has got a question, I'm going to... Uh, Steve, second. And just behind Steve, the lady there. Have you got plans for any Dreamland material? Yes. <laughs> it's the easy answer. The, the harder answer is, um, yeah, we, we actually have a lot of... Um, Obviously, we've got the original content, but we've got we have actually got a lot of new content that we've developed over the last uh, two or three years for a new edition. Um, it's um, it's just squeezing in when we're going to do it because um, a bit like Gaslight, um, we really want to do it justice because you know Gaslight's a very popular setting. It's got a great following, and we want to do it justice. Likewise, Dreamlands has got a is got is a you know particularly a. Um, uh, a profile product in that sense um, and one of the things one of, one of the things I want to do with the Dreamland setting is to break it open a bit so it, it's traditionally again a little chalk and cheese that some people you know get 
like how they view the dreamlands others tend to think it is a bit kind of like what's that got to do with call of cthulhu you're running around you know on elephants and and it's a more of a fantasy kind of almost a, like a mid-level fantasy kind of setting what's that got to do with call of cthulhu and i think you know they're both valid kind of arguments, but I'd like to break open Dreamlands because I'd like to make it more dream, which can be, you know, dreams can be nightmares. Dreams can be fights of fancy, and they can be many things at the same time or change and morph into that kind of experience. So that's one of the kind of angles I want to take with the new version of Dreamlands is to, is to break it open a bit to give you, as keepers, more freedom and latitude to sort of say, it should be more dreamlike. Yeah, in, in that sense. But yeah, we, we will get to it. We have, we have a lot of material. Um, it's just, we are a very small team. You're looking at the Call of Cthulhu team. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Paul, Paul well, really helps us out. Lucy and, is one of our know. lovely authors well, from Rooms of London. Yes. And of course, next to her is Helen, who's one of the other lovely authors. <laughs> so, um, it, it, it's, you know, everything will come. And, um, you know, I, I try and get everything out as quickly as I can, but it's just... Yeah, like you said, we do occasionally need to eat and sleep. It's that kind <laughs> of thing. Not often, but, you yeah. know. <laughs> Steve. Uh, so looking to the future, uh, what's your educated guess for when 8th edition might come out? <laughs> it's not a contentious question in any way. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I imagine some point in the future, Steve. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no... I mean, we, we, we have said categorically, publicly, we have no defined plan for a new edition of Call of Cthulhu and that is true we we all know you know at some point in the future whether it's in 5 10 20 30 and the, you know the last edition was what 12 13, I think yeah um, over 10 years well eight or nine years eight or nine years between sixth and seventh edition yeah and you know I imagine it's probably going to be something like that again you may be more um, we, we are happy with seventh edition Seventh Edition has brought in a lot of new players. Uh, it has re-energised the game in that sense, and um, we've had a lot of people return to the game who like some of the changes that were introduced with Seventh. Um, so we feel, you know, we don't need to dramatically alter the system again. But there are, you know, there's always tweaks and things. As you know, me and Paul, you know, we've been talking since before we did Seventh Edition about what we like, what we don't like. And there's things in some edition, I'm sure, you know, we'd look at again and think, actually, we could maybe, we could maybe rephrase that or make it clearer or make it a little bit even more streamlined, you know, and, um, you know, there's things like that. But, the, but that doesn't necessarily mean we need to do a new edition to do that. We, we may put out a kind of, um, like an annual where we put in, say, actually, here's some optional rules that we've thought of since seventh edition not they're not kind of official official but they are we think they're kind of cool do you want to give them a go try them out you know and that might that might inform us in you know if they've been out in played for five or ten years that might help inform us actually people really like that optional rule we put in that annual um we might think about incorporating that into the main rules at some point you know that, that's yeah like, like the old Catholic companion in a sense we're not looking to sort of uh you know make life hard for anyone but there are ideas and, and there's cool advice and things like that and uh, options you know it's a role-playing game we you know everyone will go home and tinker and make your ver make your version of call of cthulhu which you all do um and that's cool that's what that's what role-playing is about and so uh likewise we'll, we'll tinker and come up with some cool ideas that but i categorically i have no idea when we'll do an eighth edition <coughs> Any, uh, anything? Ah, yeah. Um, firstly, thank you for the last 40 years. Amazing. Um, the last 18 months, though, Shannon, 
moving games online is happening more and more. Does Chaosism have any kind of strategy to support more online play through publishing more scenarios for VTTs or that kind of thing to encourage more people that can only get together online to, to pick up a call of the thing? Sure. I mean, we, you know, it's been, um, it's been a... Um, a really interesting time, you know, apart from everything else. But, you know, that kind of large I mean, not movement to online play, obviously it was already happening, but, it, but you know, it just more people had to, really, if they wanted a game. But, you know, that was the, that was the way it was. So, um, and, um, yeah, I think, obviously we don't run any virtual tabletops. We're not a virtual tabletop company. We don't make that stuff. So it's not our, you know, it's not our area of expertise. Um, however, we work closely with you know the people that do, and uh, you know we work hand in hand with you know, Roll Twenty, and, and we've worked with the uh, I'm now going to forget all the names of all the Forge. other Forge and and, and Fancy um, Realms, Fancy Realms, Astral, Astral and etc. etc. They're all wonderful. Yeah, you know, whatever shape and size one you like, you know you found to find some colour cathedral on there. So we yeah we work and support those people. And that includes, you know, people who work for those companies who help to kind of produce material to go on. And obviously there's a bunch of fans and freelance people that produce material to go on there as well. So um, one, of the th one of the projects, you know, we've been involved in is, is getting some more of our books kind of developed for Roll20 and things like that. But equally that's happening on other platforms as well. So we're trying to support where we can. So obviously then we want our, uh, uh, want to make the product as easily available to people if they want to use it in that format. Um, but it's, it's just a game of everything takes time and, and doing it. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just continue to support. And obviously, our community programs, you know, we, from day one have been, it hasn't, you know, you, if you join the Cult of Chaos, which is our kind of volunteer keeper program, you know, run, run games for, to introduce people or get people playing Call of Cthulhu, from day one, we've included online play as part of that. So if you run a game online, you can use that to claim your, your credits in the Chaosium store and all that kind of thing. So I think, you know, we've always wanted to support it. It's a case of, you know, but we're always listening for ideas as well. So if we're, if there's an area where we're not covering yet, or we're not aware of, or there's something we could do that help, then obviously we're, you know, we're, we're happy to hear and, and to take things on board. So, um, Anyone got? I mean, your list online. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, with the Dolls House, we do have the ability to export your investigators into XML or JSON. So uh, that does need a bit more development. Um, but I think we're in the position where we can set the standard for that interchange. So you know, and uh, we did some work years ago with with Fantasy Grounds on that. But that was at the time they were developing their Unity version. So I think it fell by the wayside. But it is still available. And I know that people have written their own implementations to get those characters into the VTTs using our export. So, so one of the things that we will be looking at is to make that more streamlined uh, and maybe to have actual a proper standard for it that, so it would make it you know, um, more compatible Every, you know, so you'd ha you could export the same, the same process would work in a number of VTTs, for instance. Yeah. You know, something like that. Yes. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I'm a big fan of Dolls House. Thank you for all the effort. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. One of the least fun things when you're prepping a game is typing in the pre-gen characters. Uh, absolutely, I, I've done. Yeah, I've had to do that. Yeah. So, 
Ja, det hjælper mig også. Nej, det er ikke sådan noget, det er ikke Yeah, well, yeah, we do need a standard for it because everyone has a different, you know, they're all written in JavaScript front end, but or Node.js for the VT2s, but they all have the different, you know, implementation. So if we can get a standard for that, that will be the first step, and then it would make, you know, so then it would be, you know, it wouldn't matter which one you used from that side, yeah. So, and and then make it two way if possible. So you know the progress of your character on that module you played on in the VTT, you could export it back out and update the database and it could be you know kept current so you could then output that for the next um, time you played well I mean I imagine that you know at some point when you get these kind of virtual reality glasses we can all put on easily and whatever and then we can the, the, the GM can then program them as you play and you literally see you in a 1920s speakeasy well, and then you will get eaten by Cthulhu and then some know, dark shadows start coming out yeah yeah absolutely fair enough I've been working on that for years <laughs> true horror is motion sickness <laughs> <laughs> any, any other questions um, yeah this, this isn't my question um, but uh, it's quite a fabulous question online also though what's happening with um, Shadows of the Oxford will there be a um, okay, so we, we have a um, we have a, uh, a draft manuscript of a, a revised version um, that has been play tested. Um, it has a dra- it has sort of thrown up a few issues with the the draft we have. Nothing nothing insurmountable, but it, it you know it's like anything that's. It needs a little bit more work to kind of develop that and uh, and make that into a bit more cohesive. It's also very, very, very long. Uh, that may need to you know look at how we kind of chop that down a little bit to make it a bit more, um, you know, price point wise <laughs> friendly to people rather than being super expensive or super big. Um, but yeah, so it, it will be happening again. But please see, see my previous answers in terms of. You know, it'll come out when it comes out. But um, uh, I'm a little bit kind of resistant to changing the name because I think it's, you know, it's the first campaign for Call of Cthulhu. It was called Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth. And even though uh, Mr. Sothoth isn't appearing very much in the campaign, does it matter? Still, a, still it's always been a cool name as far as I was concerned. But, you know, maybe, maybe we put a colon. Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth does not feature Yogg-Sothoth. <laughs> maybe something like that in little brackets. Hey, I mean, George Lucas got away with it for um, Battle for Endor. Uh, you know, the, the, co- the cover for Battle of Endor, there's this really good-looking lad on the front of it. He's not even in the film. It's Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> so, you know, I think we're fine. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't, yeah. Yeah, but yes, yes, some point, some point. Um, I guess a related question is, do you know why it's called Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth? Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, it's basically because at the time, and you know, there's a certain logic to it, it you know, uh, I, think it, I think it was predominantly Lynn Willis uh, at the time at Curzium who thought it would be a good idea because the game is a mystery game. In a sense, you know, it, you know in the, the large part, certainly the early modules, it, it's, a, it's a mystery, you know, and so giving it a misleading title you know, I mean, Master of Nathotep, you kind of know what it's about. <laughs> At some point, you're going to, Nathotep's going to be involved. But Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth, your, your, your expectation may be better Yogg-Sothoth. So all the way through the campaign, you wait for it, and it never happens until Cthulhu pops up. So that was the reason. 
Um, and um, it's why the fungi from your goth, the second campaign was called the fungi from your goth because it's not about the fungi from your goth. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, that, that was reasoning. I mean, no, the, the trouble with historic things, especially really early things that, that have had a, that have a currency in their own name, to change the name, kind of, we lose that history and currency with it. Because, you know, you people who were there who bought the original Shadows, if we bring out a new edition of Shadows and we call it, I don't know, um, Adventures in the Mojave Desert, um, it's not going to mean anything, does it? It doesn't mean anything. And you're going to go, is that that campaign or not? I don't know. But if we call it Shadows of the Yogg-Sothoff third edition, you know exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I, but I think you can see where I'm leaning. But I'm, I am open to suggestion. I will let Fabio know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Does a day of the beast deserve a re-examination or a new condition? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a quandary sometimes, is that I see online, you know, there are people that are, you know, cause you can still get older, you know, talking from the Gath Day of the Beast, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you can, people have got copies, the original copies, or the, you know, the updated version, and um, they can buy it, and they can run it with some edition or run it with a, whatever version they want to run it with. Um, and it works just fine with all of those. Um, so yeah, at some point, I imagine we would probably look to you know, do something with it. But but it, but it, by not doing it, it's not stopping people playing it. You know, people can get it, they can play it, and still enjoy it. Um, I think we will at some point. I know the uh, the guys at the um, HP Lovecraft Historical Society would love to. That's their favourite. They, they love that campaign. I think it's one of the first that they played. And you know, it's, it's what takes them back is when they talk about that. So they would love us to do that because then they would love to do some sort of super duper prop set to go with it, which I'm sure we'd all love as well. But um, it's just a case of everything is timing. It's just you know, you know. I think it's just. And know. it is maintaining that balance of yeah, reflecting on what what's been, but also having new stuff and bringing in new voices. Because, I mean, let's face it, we're all getting a bit older. Well, yeah, I never, yeah, I never wanted the Call of Cthulhu line to become the greatest hits of Call of Cthulhu. Because that, to me, is the death knell of the game. Because they they already exist out there. You can play, half of them are already on your shelves, I know. Do you really want a new edition if it's not much different? So, um... So for me, it's always been about ensuring that we have new material coming out and there's lots of new voices, different takes on things, um, you know, off the wall kind of scenarios that are a bit bizarre and that you weren't expecting or they go in a strange direction or we do Regency Cthulhu, which no one saw come in, especially me. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and so on, you know, that, that's, you know, Paul, you've done a bit of Call of Cthulhu. What's your opinion on old and new things? I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I think you do want new material. Um, I think, I think people are always going to want the reissues because they've got that that cachet of you know, because the, there weren't that many things out in the the early mid '80s, um, so they've sort of you know the things that were there stand up. But I'm not sure they're you know when you go back to them, those original ones, compared to the stuff that's coming out today, I'm not sure they necessarily stand up as being better 
uh, well, you know, once they've been you know, revised and reprocessed and so on with some new ideas and so on, perhaps they're, you know, they're well worth getting. But um, I think it's partly just down to reputation that those people want those older older uh, modules. I think partly. I mean, I mean, I've had a long look at Beyond the Mountains of Madness. As Paul says, you know, he said he said earlier, it's one of the standout campaigns and books for him. For me, it's slightly different. You know, I need to go into reasons, but but it's slightly different for me. So I've had a long, hard look at, at that campaign, and, about, and with the thought of what you know, if you know, we want it, we you know, we want to put it out again. You know, we have put out the original version. You can get hold of it. So we were going to put it. If we're going to put it out again. It needs. What do we do? You know, do we just do the baseline? Change the rules to seventh edition. Change the stat lines. Take out the word resistance table. Put a pose roll in. Very easy, you know, relatively quick to do. New artwork, new layout, make it look great. But effectively, we're just updating it the very, you know, very minor way to doing more of a kind of masks take on where we actually deconstruct it, rewrite it, and so forth. And looking at that in the context of that campaign to do that level to sort of, you know, masksify it in terms of deconstruct it would completely change what it is. So would then Paul look at the new issue and go like, is that better? I don't think he will. I think, I think you'd go, well, you've changed it to something that's not actually the same anymore. It's not the same. Masks was different. Masks, I think, was unique in that way that, it, that actually it is the same. There's just a more depth to it. There's more help to run it. Yeah, but I definitely think do it t- facing at, um, beyond the mountains of Bandis and revising that, it would be a bigger set of changes, yeah. That and I, do. I don't think it would look like Beyond the Mountains of Masters no, at the, e- at mountain mountain at the end. Yeah. yeah, and that may be fine, but I don't think that's what people want when they think about that campaign. It is a very, very, in fact, it's the most linear campaign that exists for Call of Cthulhu. I mean, people will say, or oh, Express, you're on a train track. Yeah, you are. But actually, Beyond the Mountains of Masters is literally ABCD because there is no way, you know, when you're on their ice, there's no left or right, it's only that way, and, the, and it's very linear. And so to change that would change the nature and flavour of the campaign completely. So my view on that is actually it should be more the, the other end. It should be a very soft touch in terms of what it would be. Um, but we have to kind of address these issues for everything in that way. And we have to kind of weigh up whether it's worth doing that now. You know, at this point, certainly this year, we've only just put out you know, a reissue of Beyond the Mountains of Madness that still you can go buy the hardback now and get the full experience and, and do that. So I don't think there's a need for us to touch that for a while yet. We can focus on some newer stuff, you know, some cool stuff as well, some new stuff. Um, as well as, you know, me spending time revisiting Arkham and making that and refreshing that kind of thing. So it's all always a balancing act in, in that way. Well, you know, Lynn spent a bit of time doing Children of Fear, and you know, and, and Paul spent a bit of time writing the Two-Headed Serpent, and, and so forth. And it, it takes time for campaigns to bed in because you've got to buy it. One, you've got to get around to buying it. Two, you've got to get around to reading it. Three, then you've got to run it, and that all takes time when it's a campaign. Because we're not talking one one shots here, and so there is a natural delay with campaigns of years before they kind of get into the consciousness. Two of the is kind of starting to do that now, isn't it? You start to see people posting about, 
oh, we're in the middle of doing Turn This Up and oh, we've just finished it. It was a really great time. We had a fantastic time. It's got that bit of a positive buzz. But it takes time. Yeah, people are still reading chapter two of Children of Fear at the minute. You know, it came out a few months ago. You know, some people are running it, but but a lot of people are still digesting it, getting in their space before they run it kind of thing. So it does vary. It does vary. Yeah, and that's something we also have to balance as well, isn't it, when, when Mike's thinking about releases, is getting the balance between campaigns, one-offs, things that people can pick up and run, because not everybody has the time to devote to campaigns. You know, so having scenario books where they're standalones that we can, you know, someone can just pick up and run, so having ones of different lengths, which is where Gateways to Terror, Terror came in, um, things like Mansions of Madness, the updates there and the new scenarios in that. And it's, it's making sure, and Mike does a really good job of this, is making sure there's that balance um, so things that you can quickly access and things that are going to be that bit more meaty that are going to take you a little bit more investment um, to, to you know, get your payoff from them. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, 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 we'll, we'll round up now because I think we're out of time. But um, as Linda said, you know, I think projects I've kind of tried to develop over this year that are kind of starting to come to fruition in terms of manuscripts and first drafts are you know, books of scenarios that play in an hour to two hours, you know, books of scenarios that you play with one or two people. Because it's that versatility, it's that kind of like saying, yeah, we, you know, sometimes it's just you, so you want to play a solo. Sometimes it's you and your partner or a friend. So you want something, you can just play with one or two people. And sometimes it's, you know, it's the whole gaming group got together tonight, so we can actually all do that one shot for mountains. Or actually, we're all free for two years, we're going to do masks. <laughs> Whatever it may be, yeah? But, it's, it, but there's no one answer to any one group and any one gamer. And so it's trying to keep that... You know, like I've talked about the game itself being flexible, it's trying to make sure that the play is flexible as well. And that's what we try and do with the balance of books. And it's, we don't always get it right, I first to admit, but that's what we're trying to aim for. And of course, I mean, let's face it, COVID completely threw a spanner in the work. So that forced a certain amount of looking at what we were doing. Like, well, oh yeah, we, actually we do need more solo adventures and we do need to think about people just being in a house with one other person. What, what do we have that they can play just together? Because they may not like online gaming because it doesn't suit everybody. Um, and that kind of thing, isn't it? So it's, it, you, you really do have to have your little crystal ball, don't, sorry, your scrying mirror. Scrying mirror. Scrying mirror. Um, Absolutely. Sort of try and figure out what's going to work. Absolutely, yes. But um, thanks, for, thanks for coming. More importantly, thanks for playing Call of Cthulhu for 40 years or, or less, depending on where you are on that scale. Uh, it's much appreciated and much appreciated that you're here today to uh, and continue you know, playing and supporting the game and, and cares generally. We do really appreciate it. So thank you and um, we'll see you in the next four years again. <laughs>
this time discussing one of the strangest gangster films ever made and how it might provide some very odd inspiration for Call of Cthulhu. Until then, however, cheerio for now. BlasphemousTomes.com Bonus content. Bonus content. Um, so I'm not, this is not the official start, so I'm not going to introduce or anything at this point until 3 o'clock when we officially start. But um, there you are. So uh, we've got three minutes. What are we going to do? What are we going to talk about in three minutes? It's not official. Well, it's daylight outside still. That was quite surprising. It's and the sunshine. Oh. That was because I only realised when I was walking down the corridor from the room. It's like, oh, that's what outside looks like. <laughs> oh, I, I, I knew what I was going to do. Okay, so, hands up. Did you play Call of Cthulhu in 1981? Okay. So, did you play it in October 1981? November 1981 or December 1981? December. So the rest of you, because it was released in November 1981, so unless you were playtesting it, I was trying to work out who's, who's played it the longest in this room. So, is it, are, are you winning the prize? Because your hand was up for December and nobody else had their hand up. Can't remember. <laughs> Well, I'm a, collect, a collective for all the three or four of you put your hands up for 81, so well done. You're still around, still here, still coming to Kersin panels, so well done. You're, you know, not sick of us by now. That's, uh, that's very good, very good. And, um, and I was going to say, who's the most, who's the newest? Is there anyone who first played Call of Cthulhu this year? Okay, anyone? Yes? You, well, you're the newest man, well done, well done. Fantastic.